Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. Just a quick reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. This week, Brian Strauss joins me to dissect the UEFA Champions League final, Real Madrid 3, Liverpool 1, and all the talking points from Madrid's three-peat, to Sergio Ramos's villainy, to Mohamed Salah's injury, to Gareth Bale's Golazo, to Loris Karius and his two howlers. We'll also touch on the U.S. men's national team and Cincinnati joining MLS. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from Washington, D.C. Congratulations to your caps on making the Stanley Cup Finals, my friend. Yeah, I still don't believe it. You know what? Here's a question. Why do they call it, is it the official term, the finals or the final with the Stanley Cup? It, it's they've they've changed it to final in recent years, which of course is wrong because there are multiple games, so it is a finals, in my opinion. Um, the NBA says finals. Right. Um, I think if it's a single game, it should be a final because there's one yes. of them. And if there are multiple games, they are finals. They are multiple games, but this confuses a lot of people. Um, and there we have it. Uh, but yeah, no, good to good to chat with you. It's been a while since I've done one of these with you uh, in my underpants. Um, <laughs> TMI, baby. So he, here we are. Here's one thing I will say, by the way, which is it really drives me nuts, the editor inside me, when somebody calls the World Cup final the World Cup finals in soccer. Uh, it, that is bad. Um, what is worse than that is... European championships yeah. that drives me insane um, there. And we have colleagues and friends uh, on television and in the media who do this, who during the Euro every summer call it the championships. No, no, it's one championship. There's one champion, a track and field meet where you have a shot put champion and a javelin champion and whatever that race is where they jump over the hurdles into the little, into the little pools. Like there's a champion of that. So it's championships because you have multiple champions at the end of it. But in the Euro, there's one champion. Yeah. So it is a championship. And this is, I mean, this is not Team USA egregious. It's not <laughs> that bad. <laughs> Nothing is that bad. It's pretty bad, though. It's pretty bad because I, I always liked at the final of a World Cup, men's or women's, I like to buy the T-shirt that you can get at the yes, stadium yes, on the I've day done, of the final I, that has the date on it and the, the two countries playing. And you can only get it there. I've gone hunting for you a couple times for, for those T-shirts. And yes. at the Women's World Cup final in 2015, the oh, T-shirt no. that I bought literally says, the T-shirt, World Cup finals. Oh, God. I uh, yeah. I, I burn it all down. It just absolutely killed me. My journalism now that now that I've covered World Cups, um, my lone remaining journalism fantasy is to one day be in a position to hire people and to accept applications and resumes and immediately eliminate and disqualify anyone <laughs> who has used the term first ever at any point in their career. If you've ever written or or I've even seen second ever. I've seen this. <laughs> If you've ever put in, if I'm ever in position to hire for a job and you've written the words first ever, don't apply. Just don't apply. But thanks for picking this up. I did not anticipate starting with a grammar rodeo. That's very exciting. I'm sure we've lost every single listener uh, over the first three minutes of this podcast. So that's great. So let's talk about the UEFA Champions League finals. Oh, uh, that's 
<laughs> well done. Well played. <laughs> Lots to talk about, though. 3-1 Real Madrid. Real Madrid wins its third straight European Cup, joining... Who are they joining? Bayern Munich from the 70s, Real Madrid from the 50s, and Ajax. Um, So pretty special in terms of something that we have seen very, very few times in the history of the sport. Um, And I wanted to ask... It was a, a, you know, a home and away, you know, four round kind of thing. You know, I mean, it was not nearly as demanding as, as, as what teams have to do now. So, But I want to ask you what your big takeaway is from this game. Uh, it was it, it was I don't know how you felt like a lot of times I'll wonder like man like like if I was writing off this game if I was in the stadium writing off this game what would I do what would I say how would I start what would my story be and I started thinking that way toward the end and I just kind of had a panic attack um, because you know I had a core meltdown just because it, it, so much happened so many storylines big picture small picture so many faces. Um, and, and in the end, my takeaway is actually kind of something that we have talked about together on this, on this podcast. And I have brought up, you know, you mentioned the caps. I've brought up the penguins many times and Sidney Crosby and this kind of just this ability to bend games and series and, 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 and events to their will and somehow win, even when they're not the better team, even when they're outplayed. And they didn't this time. The penguins didn't. I mean, I've watched a million Caps Penguin series and I've seen all the plays and have anticipated all the plays that the Penguins always make. And for some reason, they didn't make them this time. But Real Madrid, th- this game was the apotheosis of Real Madrid. If you were ever going to tell the story of this Real Madrid team, if you were going to try to explain to people what this team is about, you would show them this game. This was two hours of allegory. It was absolutely remarkable how every. Uh, every trend, every thread, every cliche about this Madrid team and their uncanny knack for winning kind of popped up in this game, right? You have you have the other team making the awful mistake and Madrid capitalizing. You have the one moment of brilliance um, that kind of convinces you that they really do deserve it. And that comes from the $130 million transfer who's sitting on the bench because Real Madrid just prints money, right? You have... You have the villain. You have Sergio Ramos. You have the diva, Ronaldo. Uh, you know, making you know, you know, so unable and incapable of sharing the spotlight that after the game he starts talking about leaving Madrid and renaming the competition after himself. Um, you know, you have the guys who who play really well, who no one pays attention. I mean, Tony Cruz and and, and Luka Modric were fantastic, right? But no one talks about them. Um, you know, and and you just have this like inevitable, inexorable, mistake-free kind of like will to win that that's insufferable and boring and nasty and and unsympathetic and yet incredible and amazing and historic and it's all summed up for me in in those two hours well we didn't even mention loris carius yet i mean well the mistake capitalizing on the mistakes right right they, they carius happened to be the the, the the patsy in this in this you know equal of madrid wins a final i want to throw this stat out there before i forget and I mentioned it before we went on air. Uh, Madrid, uh, talking about will to win, talking about or ability or knack or whatever whatever it is, this intangible. Um, Madrid lost the 2000 Club World Cup final to Boca Juniors. Um, coming on as a sub in that game, by the way, Guillermo, Guillermo Barros Scaloto. Nice. Uh, 
But that was the that was the Boca of Raquel May and Martin Palermo and and those guys. So 2000, Madrid loses the Club World Cup final to Boca. Since then, Madrid has played in 13 international finals: Champions League, Club World Cup, Super Cup. 13 straight wins. Uh. How? It's a soccer game. It's it, it, it's low scoring. It's random. It's it, it, they're always playing another really good team. 13. <laughs> Trophies in a row in international finals for Real Madrid. It is simply, it is inexplicable, and um, it's a, it's just a cultural. It, it's in the DNA of the club, and it's remarkable. It's something that I have finally, over many months recently, come to change my opinion on. Which is, I've always kind of said that history doesn't really matter. You know, club DNA doesn't really matter. You know, it's kind of like when Germany won the World Cup in South America and people said, oh, no European team has ever won a World Cup in South America. Well, that Germany team didn't have anything to do with the 1962 World Cup, you know, and they ended up winning. And I was like, you know, history doesn't matter that much. But I'm starting to come around or have come around that there may be something to sort of institutional DNA and experience and the ability, if you've been there before, to not make the kind of mistakes that Loris Carius made, which we you know, we didn't see that from Real Madrid. And I think so right. often we, we talk about what? What's that? No, no, I'm saying right. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. We don't, we don't see Madrid. Right. We don't see Madrid make those mistakes. There's something about, you know, there's something about when you when you are welcomed into a group, when you become part of the group, when you put on the shirt, when you're subjected to the culture and conversation and the atmosphere inside of any kind of company or group or club or anything that you happen to be in, how can you not take on characteristics of the environment you're in? You know, and, um, you know, I always joke, you know, again, back to the caps, Justin Williams, Mr. Game seven, you know, until he played a game seven at home with the caps and then he was, and then he was crap and they lost. Right. I mean, there's something about putting on that Jersey where you, 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 you either tense up or you loosen up. You either, you either know what's, what's at stake because of, because of what everyone's hoping for and expecting, or you, you know, what's anticipated, you know, you, you, and, and what's inevitable that there's some, you become part of the larger whole. And, and I think that that stuff carries through now Germany, the, the, the 2014 Germany team may have nothing to do with you know, other European teams at a World Cup played you know, half a century earlier. But certainly when you put on that white jersey, something happens, you know, you become and you're and you're not even given the jersey unless you're capable of carrying on those sorts of traditions. And so every year, even the bad German teams make quarterfinals and semifinals of World Cups. Right. It, it, there's something in the DNA there. So the I other think point I was I mean, the other point I was going to make was that to uh, too often in soccer, we talk about what happens during a game and, and not enough about what doesn't happen in a game. If that Does that make sense? So like, you know, we don't talk about the fact that, oh, Real Madrid didn't make any crazy mistakes like Liverpool did, like Carius did. You didn't see Keeler Navas making some crazy mistake in this game. In the same way that when we look at a game, we talk about so often about that bad referee call that kept someone from scoring a goal, but we don't talk about what didn't happen during that game, what a team did not do to create goals. 
right? Madrid, Madrid, right. Madrid, Madrid is the spider in its web, right? Madrid waits and waits and waits for you to fuck up. And then when you do, and, 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 and does the Madrid player not make the mistake because he's wearing the shirt? Does he, does, he, does he raise his level because of the culture at Madrid? Or does Madrid know enough, having, having been through this so many times, they know to go get the player who won't make the mistake? I don't know which it is necessarily, some of both probably, but they, they don't make mistakes in these games. We've seen enough of them. You know, who, who didn't know they weren't going to win the shootout against Atletico Madrid in the, in, the, in the Champions League final a couple of years ago? I would have bet my house on it. And, and I don't have a house. That's how confident I would have been. I would have bet something I didn't have. You know, <laughs> like they just they just never crumble. And whether that is institutional, whether that is because they pick the right people and it's kind of self-selecting, I don't know. But oh, and by the way, have you seen the video of, of, of Ramos sort of intersecting with Carius, you know, a few minutes before Carius's awful clearance that Benzema finished. Uh, like, R- Rafi Honigstein posted it. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know, like it's, it's grainy, but like did, did, was, was Carius, you know, kind of, was it Tuesday for Carius already? Like, was he not right in the head when he made that mistake? Because Ramos <laughs> is just enough of an, of an asshole to have lowered his shoulder. I mean, like, it's just those little, little turning points in games that always seem to go Madrid's way. And um, so, yeah, I'm a believer and uh, I would never I've said this on this podcast before. I've said it before they played probably PSG. Like I'm never betting against Madrid in a knockout. I'm just never going to do it. So one big talking point, obviously, after the game, Sergio Ramos, Mohamed Salah, uh, Salah has had just a tremendous transcendent season. Uh, one of the best stories we've seen in a long time in this sport uh, goes out in the first half uh, with a sprained shoulder ligament situation that comes after Ramos wrestles him to the ground. Um, and Ramos clearly the lead villain in the sport globally today. I can't think of anyone who approaches that. Can you? Anthony Precourt. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> haven't thought I, of that, but I mean, like, I, I, like I just popped in my head. I, I can't know. I, I certainly, certainly for, for, a, for, a, for an on-field actor. No, I, I, I certainly can't come up with anyone. And, and I, we probably would have come to that conclusion before, um, before the incident with Salah and the maybe incident with Carius. Um, I mean, but think about it, like, you know, Mark Van Bommel, I think is the guy who Sergio Ramos has, has replaced as the biggest good. villain in the sport. Um, you know, Nigel De Jong, potentially. I don't know what it is with Dutch guys. But um, uh, so the play itself, and I tweeted that uh, Ramos has certainly committed a lot of dirty plays in his career. Uh, this play was not one of them. And I ran into, I think, a perfect storm here of... Did you get death threats? Didn't get death threats, so that was good. I'm just calling it as I see it. And so I think there was this perfect storm here in that all Liverpool fans and all Barcelona fans on Twitter came after me, it seemed like. <laughs> yep. Um, and they are very vocal on Twitter, Liverpool and Barcelona fans. But uh, my, my other favorite was the people saying, anybody who's played at a high level knows that's 
a dirty play. <laughs> and that that's actually one of my favorite constructions. Uh, you know, never mind that. Anytime, anytime, anytime someone disagrees, right? If right. You don't know football. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, never mind that Donovan, Holden, Lawless all think it was not a dirty play. Um, what was your take, though? It's hard, you know, and I know, I know, we live in in hot take world where where you've got to have a completely unnuanced black and white <laughs> extreme view immediately about something, and if you don't, you're a you're a chump and a wuss. Um, but you know, I think it was avoidable. I, I I think I think Ramos, and again, I can't I I cannot get inside Ramos's head. I would never want to be there anyway. Um, but you know, so. Law does hook his arm. There's no question about it. You could, there, are, there are, it's easy to see. Um, Salah then, as they go to fall, releases right, mm. um, and they go down. And the part that bothers me is the part where Ramos turns. The 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 the, the part where Ramos, instead of falling, using his arms to brace his fall and falling, so his 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 torso is facing the field. He rotates, you know, I guess to his, you know, t- toward his left shoulder. He rotates to come down on Salah's arm. I, I don't. I, I'll never know if that was necessary. I'll never know if he couldn't have helped that. If he was negligent. If he was. If it was willful. But it just didn't seem necessary. It didn't seem like he had to turn that way to fall to ensure that Salah's arm was caught under him. And it, it, it's it's unfortunate. And you know when and as, as a lot of the arguments were, you know if 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 you see that and you wonder why he had to rotate his body and fall that way, and you see that on a on your normal player, on your on your guy without a record, then maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. But for a guy like Ramos, who we've seen with this kind of gamesmanship, I guess people use the term shit housery now, and I don't know what that's from, but it's great. It's a great um, uh, British term. I, I think we were talk- we I talked about this one time. Did we call it talk about shithousery? I think um, we may have offline, but yeah, okay. we have. So anyway, so so when when you have the crown prince of shithousery doing something like that, <laughs> then you know, I mean, he is a guy with with pretty good pretty good you know control of his own body. So yeah, the the way he rotated and fell on Salah to ensure that Salah's arm was sort of caught in him uh, bothers me a lot. And um and look, Liverpool started so brightly. I mean that first that first ten minutes or so, um, you know the, the the press was on. They were moving the ball. Uh, Madrid really couldn't get much traction. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, Madrid still would have won. Like I said, I'm not going to bet against them, but it would have been fun, obviously, um, to see them beat Liverpool's full team. And of course, now we have the story of of Salah's fitness um, sort of dominating the conversation over the next two weeks. Yeah, I think we might see a situation not that different from Luis Suarez before the World Cup in 2014 where he picked up an injury and there are questions about whether he'd be available, would he be fit, did not start the first game. Uh, My guess is with Salah that uh, he may not play against Uruguay in their first game, uh, which isn't that as big of a game for Egypt as the next two games against Russia and Saudi Arabia, yeah, which are going be to be the, the, the decisive yeah. games. Right. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm expecting, but you can be certain that Salah is going to do everything humanly possible to get on the field in Egypt's first World Cup since 1990. Weren't there like six World Cups in a row where some like English dude broke a metatarsal? <laughs> Back like a month out. Like, right? But, they, but yeah, it was, it was more... 
it was everyone. It was it was it was it was Owen or Rooney or or Prince Charles. Like <laughs> like there was like a there was a meta there was a metacarpal or a metatarsal. I, I don't know any one of the one of the feet bones. I feel like was was a running story for like multiple World Cups in a row. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's and and this is the thing. I mean, I I you know if if Sergio Ramos deliberately knew what he was doing and wanted to hurt Salah, I I, I certainly don't think. Ramos was trying to knock Salah out of the World Cup. You know, I mean, I, I'm sure that wasn't in his head. Um, I also but, think that uh, people like want a pound of flesh after a player gets injured, as if I hear people now saying that Sergio Ramos should get a retroactive ban, a suspension for what happened. And I think any rational person would say that you you don't take in you take into account the play itself. You don't take into account whether the guy gets injured or not. Of course, yeah. Well, well those are those are those are bad opinions. <laughs> but but you know what? But if the but if the ref had if the ref had called a foul on Ramos and had 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 given a, call, a yellow to Ramos on that play, I'd have absolutely no problem with it. I mean, it was right. It no, was I agree. I, I agree. I agree with yellow card. I. I, I yeah. Yeah, I still don't think it was dirty, but I realize people, reasonable people can disagree on that. Uh, Unreasonable people can also disagree, I've learned. Um, Anything else we want to say about uh, the Champions League final? Uh, I mean, God, we could talk for a week about it, you know? The CR7 Champions League. Um, (laughs) That guy, guy, he couldn't take it. My favorite part of the game, I haven't even talked about my, my favorite part of the game may have been the pitch invader at, at the yes and he had a shot ronaldo had a look at goal and all he wanted to score a goal so badly it, 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 he was he was he had he had fire in his veins about scoring a goal and he's he's like literally looking up at goal ready to shoot and the pitch invader comes on and gets in the way that guy should be put on a stamp whoever that is whoever that is should have a statue of himself like oh my god that guy's a hero just just watching watching Ronaldo suffer through a wind is just beautiful. Um, and look, and then and then I've I've said before I, I having never having never been a goalie and 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 having played and and understanding how difficult and weird um, that that whole position is and that whole life is and that whole mindset is. I've I've always been a little shy about critiquing goalies and and, and saying too much about it just because it's not it's hard to sort of empathize with what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, those are, I mean, well, and, and Carries is not the first goalie who, who has, do I punch it? Do I catch it? Do I punch it? Do I catch it? Oh, neither. Right. That second goal from Bale, that's happened before. Um, the first goal was, was just truly bizarre and, and how he could have been so unaware where his mind must've been. Um, you know, maybe again, maybe that was again, a couple minutes after, um, Sergio Ramos uh, did his drive-by, um, but the scenes at the end, the scenes with Carius in tears, the scenes of him bowing to the Liverpool fans, the the, the tweets, um, you know, the, the the people who are you know wishing him ill, and then the people who are really taking sort of the "you'll never walk alone" slogan to heart and realizes that it means, you know, if you're if if that's going to be your thing, then it's got to be your thing, you know, um, and and that's just an incredibly imagine being on that stage and 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 having that happen and, and, and going through that roller coaster. I mean, it was just incredible. It was incredible TV and incredible theater. And, um, it always just, again, it just happens against Madrid. It's just, the, it's just the, the power and, and gravitational pull of Madrid. Um, I think, that always, uh, 
Yeah. A lot of memories from this game. Yeah, I think Shaka Hislop over at ESPN made a good point, you know, as a goalkeeper himself, that both goals that Karius screwed up on, um, he thought that Karius, based on what he was seeing, was already trying to think too far ahead of getting the ball moving in the opposite direction quickly again. And that that that's the mistake. That's what caused the mistake where he, he didn't really check to see where Benzema was on the first one. And then also that he was starting too quickly to think about what he was going to do next on the bail shot from way out, by the way. I mean, when he took the shot, I was like, what are you doing, man? Um, and, and that makes sense um, when you think about that analysis. But I would also say, and, and I think if you're anyone that's a human with a heartbeat, uh, you feel horrible for Karius and what he's going to be going through for a long time. Um, in raw terms, there has been there have been goalkeeping issues at Liverpool for several years now. And whether it's Mignolet, whether it's Karius, I don't think they're good enough. And that certainly isn't a new opinion on those guys. And so yeah, we, we and we've talked we've talked about Liverpool defensively. Period. Just the big picture. Um, yeah. That there's a price to pay for playing the kind of soccer Jurgen Klopp wants to play, and it is entertaining as hell, um, and it it fits with the Premier League kind of ethos. Um, but against Madrid, again, against know your opponent, right? And you can't change you can't change your DNA, you can't change who you are for one game. But when you're playing a a team that never makes the big mistake, and you know will rip your heart out when you make one, playing Liverpool soccer, Klopp soccer mistake is probably inevitable right and and so you're playing i i actually i have a witness to this my friend rob who i've talked about before because he's a barcelona socio and he hates madrid more than you know with the passion of a you know a million sons i watched the game with him and i, I said before the game three to one so i have a witness <laughs> that this that this happened um but i just i thought madrid would score multiple goals i never imagined them happening this way but you know, Liverpool, Liverpool lives and dies with this style and they're going to make mistakes. Um, and it's like I said, it's brilliant to watch. Um, and it's as a neutral, you want to see them win just because they're so much fun. Um, but against Madrid, against a team that is as ruthless and as efficient as they are, that's what happens. So let's move on. Um, just want a quick mention of the U.S. men's national team. We're recording this on Monday during the day. The U.S. plays Bolivia on Monday night. Uh, in what I assume and think will be an instantly forgettable game. Am I wrong? Um, I'm. It is going to be up to me. This is going to be a test of my professional resolve um, to write a three thoughts <laughs> for the people off this game um, without like mentioning Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> it's just been really hard. <laughs> like you, know, people don't understand what tonight means to me. Like, like. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be it's a test. Um, so so I will I will try to pass that test, um, and then yes, the minute I file, uh, I will I will never think about this game again. Uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see. I, I will say this: it'll be fun to see. Um, we haven't seen uh, Pulisic and McKinney uh, play together uh, mm-hmm. for the U.S. We we their names have been linked um, both because of their friendship, because of their Bundesliga rivalry, because of their. Um, the, the, the hopes and the, and, the, and, the, and the anticipation and the pressure and, and, and all of these things that, that everyone's been laying on them. Um, they, are the, they are the midfield core going forward. This will be the, 
the, the, the axis around which the national team revolves for a decade. We've yet to see them on the field. So maybe tonight is, is the beginning of a, of a partnership that carries the national team for the next 10 years. Um, so, so that's meaningful on some level. Um, but I mean, the, 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 the Bolivian team is, is, is like two thirds of the team is uncapped. Um, you know, this is a, this is a JV game in every sense of the word. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what kind of changes Dave Sarakin makes heading over to Europe. He, he's not, you know, Dave, if, if anything, Dave has proven that he wants these games to be competitive. He wants his guys to at least get used to the idea of playing internationals, um, that are, that are tight. Um, you know, where, 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 you know, the midfield is kind of settled. Um, he's, he's paid really close attention to filling the midfield and making sure that the team is, is well-structured more so than Bruce or, or Jurgen ever did. Um, and obviously he doesn't want to go to France and lose by eight goals. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of handles that game. But, uh, yeah, tonight's going to, uh, tonight's about the Stanley cup finals and, and me trying to fake my way through three thoughts on the Bolivia game. That Bolivia team sounding a little like that Trinidad team from last October, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, USL, a collection of USL all-stars, right? Uh, U.S. will also be playing friendlies at Ireland and at France in Lyon uh, coming up here. Uh, and then the World Cup will come. Yeah, you'll, though, be, you'll be in Russia. You'll be in Russia when that game, that game against France uh, happens, and I will be um, panicking and packing when that game happens because I will be leaving about 36 hours later. So, so I want to talk about Cincinnati MLS expansion. Uh, the announcement is expected for Tuesday. Uh, that is in line with what we've been saying here. You have followed MLS expansion more closely than any other reporter anywhere. Um, and are you surprised it's taken this long to announce Cincinnati? I guess if you had told me in December that, that it would be another six months, you know, their deadline, if you were to recall, they'll get mad at me for saying the word deadline. But it was kind of a, it was a self-imposed deadline. It was a, what's a better word for it? A, a, a target. Maybe it was a target that they wanted to announce both teams by December. We can debate all day about what word to use. Um, if you had said it, it was going to be, you know, it was going to take another six months. Yeah, I would have been surprised. But obviously with the understanding of, of what's happened since um, and it was cagey. Look, I mean, it was it was well played by by the folks in Cincinnati, uh, uh, Lindner and Birding and those guys. Um, when when Sacramento stumbled, when it became clear that Sacramento didn't have uh, the financial uh, heft in its ownership group, um, make a go of it. Um, Cincinnati, uh, again, opportunistic. They took advantage of an opponent's uh, of an opponent's shortcoming. Um, and they uh, used that to get the stadium deal that got them over the over the hump. I mean, they're, they're Oakley, which was the suburban location in Cincinnati, it would have worked. And absent anything better, I mean, maybe MLS decides to pull the trigger on that. But that didn't blow anyone away. It didn't excite anybody. I mean, that wasn't going to, you know, no one was going to look at that and say, wow, the league is better now than it was. Um, but they took that time, that extra bit of uh, cushion, uh, that they received by Sacramento sort of faltering um, and use that to get this downtown stadium deal done in the West End. Um, and that's what, as we all know, that's really what MLS is after. And so credit to Cincinnati for getting it done. Um, and they will be announced uh, as the next MLS expansion team on Tuesday evening. A couple questions for you. Um, do you think that that increases the likelihood that Columbus moves to Austin or is it unconnected in your opinion? And two, 
Do you think Sacramento will ever get an MLS team? Will they be the Rochester Rhinos of oh, this century? I think it's unconnected. I mean, I, I think I've always thought it was likely that the crew were going to leave. Um, I think it's certainly more likely now that um, <laughs> pre-court, who we have called <laughs> the greatest villain in global soccer. The Sergio uh, Ramos of MLS owners. Sergio apparently. Ramos of MLS. Um, now, now that he has kind of stopped with the with the the quixotic kind of silliness of trying to get Austinites to give up Riverside Parkland and go to this <laughs> go to this uh, Macala Place development a little bit further outside of downtown, um, you know that 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 makes his his uh, stadium quest far more likely to succeed. It's always been likely that Columbus is going to leave. I don't know what's going to happen. No one no one knows what's going to happen. But I think it's unconnected. I, I think. I think Cincinnati's rise and and what they have built there, um, you know, look, they built that with the crew in the state, right? So, uh, you know, clearly the presence of an MLS team up the road did not harm FC Cincinnati's effort um, to build a fan base, uh, you know, and, and generate some traction in their market. So I don't see a reason why they couldn't coexist and I don't see a reason why um, they couldn't. So, yeah, I think it's unconnected. Um, what was the second question? Sacramento. Are they going to be the Rochester Rhinos uh, trying like crazy to get into MLS and never quite succeeding? I That's a good question. I think it's out of their hands now, in a way. Um, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, they, they've known what they've had to do for six months, and it hasn't happened. Um, and I know they've talked to a variety of people. Um, some, some, I, some I've reported, some I, I can't for a variety of reasons, off the record kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, they haven't signed a deal and they now risk being passed by, by another market that makes a move. That's the issue. So if Phoenix, if San Diego, if Detroit, um, if any of these markets over the next little bit here um, makes a big splash with an investor, with a stadium plan, with something that really blows MLS out of the water and it's a bigger market, um, they risk, yeah, they risk becoming the rhinos, which would be a shame because um, what they built uh, starting in 2014 um, in a way was sort of almost a blueprint for Cincinnati, right? I mean, Sacramento was really the first, you know, maybe Orlando was the first, but but Sacramento really took it to another level and, and um, it would be a shame if it didn't work out. Um, but yeah, by, by this delay in finding that investor now opens the door perhaps for some competitors to pass them. All right. On that note... We will end the podcast, but thanks for joining me. Let's do it again next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-Minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon and Fubo TV. Recent guests include Tim Ream, Jonathan Northcroft, Indy Cowie, and Juan Pablo Angel. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. 
you get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.